So there's this thing that showed up on uh, our Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember us talking in the Imbis episode about this guy, Alex Lee, who is a councilman in California and a declared socialist, I think even a member right. of the DSA or something, okay. yeah. who was like an article in, on Jacobin right. talking about him and interviewing him about like a growing left tendency within Yimbyism. Right. And we were questioning whether there was any public housing in California. Right. Right. But the, the, like the discourse seemed kind of fine in, or at least understandable in the sense mm. that downward mobile sections of the middle class and the working yeah, yeah. class had interests in common. That's right. And that public housing needs to be part of uh, building more housing, but also private housing also helps. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> um, this person showed up by pure coincidence on our Twitter feed uh, okay. recently, posting, well, or rather reposting a thing. He didn't make it. Uh, like, you know, what those like political orientation yeah. things, grids. grids, like there used authoritarian to, be, to, yeah, there used to, to be one, just one, like the notion of the scale and then like left, left to right, left to right. And then like, there's was this kind of liberal big brain thing where actually, no, there's two axes to properly represent how politics works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's left to right. To... And then there's authoritarian. To, so this is obviously invented by libertarian lefties yeah, who want yeah. to distinguish themselves from, from evil Stalinists. Right. Um, it's an anarcho-trot uh, scheme of politics. So this appears a lot as a meme now nowadays to like categorize things. Most often you see it as like meaning about it because everyone knows that that's not, it's not either one or yep. two uh, axes that solve the problem. Uh, well, Alex Lee reposted a, uh, one of those, but it's not memeing. Um, and it's about the positions about housing and how they fit into the politics. We, so we, got, a million, a, we, got, a, we got a left to right a, axis and oh. a pro to anti-construction axis. Yes. and okay. um, With anti standing in for authoritarianism. I guess. I don't know. It's, it's laid out that way, at least. In yes, yes, yes. The it's the bad part. Right? The anti-construction yeah. is the bad part. The pro-construction is the good part. The left part is the good part. The right is the bad part. Yeah. So this is a left pro-construction in its own terms right. graph. Right. Um, and it has a, it's a five by five grid of where positions are. Like in the center is just like, I don't care. So I guess that right. bit doesn't count. But then everything like the right wing anti-construction corner is called suburbia supremacist. Um, the text says... Suburbia is ordained by God to be America's one and only way to live. Cities make you communist. <laughs> That's in the top right corner. That's in the top right corner. Anti-construction. Right yes. Um, Pro-construction right wing is reactionary urbanist. Community and tradition against the automobile laissez-faire for enterprise law and order for the people. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So the... Uh, Top left corner, anti-construction left wing, is a revolution firster. Mm. The first priority is to hasten the revolution, break the chains, don't make them comfortable. <laughs> okay, it's kind of accelerationist. It's an accelerationist position, position right. Yeah. That you actually do see people, for like sure. rat lefties, for sure. taking yeah. this. Um, don't fight for reform. Um, we, we even had a whole episode talking about how the welfare state relates revolution, countering these arguments, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the bottom left, left to left wing pro construction is called suburbia killer. <laughs> um, suburbia is the den of racism, of capitalism, of patriarchy, of fascism. It must be replaced. Okay. So this is obviously extremely American. Yeah, the whole schema. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is a bit problematic. <laughs> uh, Obviously, it puts it puts left EMB just next to suburbia killer in the left uh, pro construction position. Uh, left EMB, which is what this person categorizes himself in, is build more housing. Yes, even the private companies. This is how we gain leverage over the landlords. A surplus is power for the people. Right. It's kind of naive. 
let's just call it naive. Uh, like, well, that would be naive if the left yimby, uh, self-proclaimed socialist, wasn't then putting in the middle of the position, in the, in the middle of the left wing, between anti-construction and pro-construction, like a centrist position regarding construction, the position of the anti-gentrifier, mm. which says... Build, building new housing here will force local residents to leave, most of whom are black or Latino. Rent control and rising crime will help keep rents low. What? Rising <laughs> crime? Why is rising crime in there? Because this person's a fucking racist. <laughs> what the fuck? Is that what... Ethnic no? minority... Poor ethnic minorities... Uh, are represented here by rising crime, which which like we are pro rising crime to keep rents low. That's insane. So there was like a clusterfuck pile of people trashing this guy, and that's how yeah, he, yeah. he like. I cannot believe that's how you're categorizing a, a kind of an intergentrification yeah. struggle. Yeah, I mean, there's there's. I see that there's a square called Streets Cleaner. Which is obviously our square, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a right-wing pro-construction. <laughs> that one says... We're going to stomp crime and corruption. Yes, we will. We will. In architecture and corporate, the corporate world. Yep. Help honest renters. That's also true. Yep. And get this city fixed up. Yes, indeed. Yes. Private, my private sector friends will help. This is the part that's... that's the only <laughs> problematic part. <laughs> Street Sweeper. Welcome, everyone. My name is Will. And I'm Ricardo. Today, we're going to be getting, at last, to some Patreon questions. Indeed. One in particular. Yeah, we're only going to get to one <laughs> of three. <laughs> we got three uh, questions queued. Yeah. Right? Uh, but we're actually going to turn two of them into full episodes. Yeah. We always have too many episodes. That's right. We're always having like four or five episodes queued down. And when we get there, there's like, like it's too much. So we, we have stuff to do. This is exactly as it should be, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we mentioned this before. Um, new patron, Whiny Cat, left us with two questions. Mm -hmm. And another patron, Luchi, who's a friend of ours, yep. uh, left us with uh, one. Luchi's question Luchi is a uh, video game worker, maker, person. Yep. Um, and he left us with the question, he says, City Skylines and similar games, both about building and about infrastructure, are a somewhat popular niche again. Why do you think that is? What do you think about them? What do they say about society today? So these are <laughs> a fairly funny question. That's a nice uh, one. Um, and uh, what we decided to do, because number one, we're friends with Luchi. Number two, uh, I also played the video games. Uh, I played SimCity like 20 so. years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years ago is in under like 30 years ago. <laughs> probably 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Luchi not only is a video game developer, but he is, uh, he is as we speak, the general, not like what's it called? It's like national secretary of the... Uh, Game Workers Union in the UK. Right. So he's a union boss. <laughs> so we can have, a, we thought, we're just going to invite him to have a, uh, to, for an episode. And we're going to talk about both like union organizing, labor organizing in fields where workers aren't used to it and are generally young people. Mm -hmm. And also about just politics in architecture, in architecture games. in games, politics in the architecture in, in games, <laughs> yeah, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's going to be a, like an episode. Then, from the questions of Whiny Cat, the second question is basically about this category of third world. I'm not going to read it; it's long, so it's just going to. It's about third world architecture, right? And this is something that we've mentioned several times, and we've thought about 
doing a full on episode, a more serious, like, like the, what we did for the welfare state, do a, like a yeah, one an for depth, that. in-depth response to it. Yeah. With so research and details and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that. We have thought about doing this before the, getting this question and this question just like reinforces that we're going to do a, an episode just on this yeah. soon. Um, and we'll read the question there and address it. So what we're going to be answering today is the first question Wynikat left us, which is, I've been bothered by the question of totality for a while now. In your episode on the welfare state, I remember that somebody said something like, get rid of this capitalist totality and impose a revolutionary one. Mm -hmm. While this makes sense in the context of that episode, doesn't the Frankfurt School, maybe especially Adorno, warn against the very concept of a totality? from their critique of instrumental rationality and some sort of vague connection between totality and fascism, etc. Right. I've been quite ambivalent towards this totality concept, but maybe that's because I haven't read enough on this topic. Anyway, pointers or thoughts would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, this is an interesting question. I mean, this question, I don't totally remember the context where one of us said that originally. It does sound something like something we would say, though. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. I think it was about what we were talking about... Um, a certain fetishization of Red Vienna and of like, yes. E yes. like lo the fortified, like enclosed neighborhood community of the workers. Yes. Exactly. As opposed to in, in a, by a municipal authority that doesn't have control of the actual political economy of the state. Exactly. exactly. Versus a, an actual socialist planning that doesn't work like that. Okay. You just answered the whole question. So <laughs> <laughs> no, no need to keep talking about it. <laughs> I mean this this question and and the and the philosophical its philosophical nature like mentioning Adorno in there Frankfurt School yeah. Western Marxist philosophy this kind of hits home to me because I also had this suspicion of the category of totality that came from being like a philosophy guy before I became like a Marxist right uh, and my main I wasn't really thinking about. I mean, it would have been filtered down from this kind of post-Marxist kind of critique of the Soviet Union uh, you get from the Frankfurt School or you get from Italian Marxism, um, Italian post-Marxism, workerism, autonomy, that kind of stuff. Uh, but the version of it that I was most familiar with came from French Maoist or a quasi-Maoist philosopher, yeah, Alain Badiou, yeah. right? Who definitely considers himself a communist, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a Marxist. Mm. Uh, and his philosophy Which has a weird, kind of... Which is weird, because what you usually have is the other way around. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange to... That's usually like a higher test of commitment, right? calling yourself a communist than, yeah. than a Marxist. Um, but what what this came out of in his philosophy or like how it manifested, it comes out of ideology, but how it manifests in the philosophy is in a critique of the state. So he, his philosophy has, a, has an idea that like things that are revolutionary are transformative. And as soon as that transformation is like completed or is ending, you transition from like the revolutionary moment to a, st a new state of the situation, right. like a new regime. Right. And all regimes are inherently reactionary or problematic in some sense mm -hmm. because they totalize the situation and right. create standardized terms of reference for what it is. Uh, and it becomes like a non-transformative uh, moment again, like the revolution's over. Right. There's no revolutionary state. Right. So it would be a contradiction in terms. Right. And in architecture, what you encounter is a kind of anti-state left architecture that focuses on like defensive enclaves, sure. like the commune, a Paris commune, um, or the Red Vienna, yeah. uh, the barricades as a figure yeah. defending against the state. And we have a fairly straightforward class critique of why this is. Yeah. As coming, like this is a specific like middle class or petit bourgeois take on revolution. Yeah, yeah. Which privileges... The, the kind of individual resistance against, I'm not going to say the state, but in, but like an existing order of things in more yeah. general terms. Yeah. Um, and then romanticizes 
failed revolutions. Exactly. <laughs> and there's exactly. not like successful ones. Exactly. And you get that in in more kind of explicit terms in a kind of Foucauldianism where like all power is basically bad. So the only just position is to be a victim. Right. At the end of the day. And these are the interests of the entrepreneur cultural uh cultural producer. Yeah. Because they would present their individual production for a cultural market yeah. as adversarial. Yeah, and minoritarian. And minoritarian, yes. Yeah. Uh, and that actually dialectically increases or potentially increases the value of the the cultural product being sold in the cultural market. Yeah. So yeah. it it function the the anti-regime uh, discourse strengthens the way in which it functions within the existing regime. Yeah. Yeah. So as a as a kind of like an architecture student reading a lot of Badiou, it seemed impossible to come up with a kind of Badiouian architecture, Badiouian left architecture, because all architecture like inherently repre represents some new crystallized state of things. Right. Right. Like maybe a process of building is transformative, but like a, a, an accomplished building or an architecture, its order, its structure is inherently statist basically in like Bedouin terms. Right. So this, it was this kind of philosophy. Even when it, I mean, obviously the, the naive response to that is the uh, like flexibility things. The um, Cedric Price, uh, yeah, yeah, flexibility and like building flows angle, which which then like historically moves into the like basically as Doug Spencer exposes like hyper neoliberal, yeah, yeah, fla yeah. Uh, frameworks so that right. are inspired by the Lusian bullshit and right. company. So it turns out. The, the response to the Badiouan concern in architecture or the Foucauldian concern in architecture that all states are bad ends up literally reproducing um, the, the structures of the existing neoliberal well, this is, regime. This is, this is the, like, that was the, like, the, like the Deleuzean, let's say, architectural yeah. politics, right? Deleuze and yeah. Guattari were the philosophical yeah. reference. Yeah primarily for this kind of flexibility, organicity, yeah. uh, whatever, um, rhizomatic, yeah. blah, blah. And Bedu is explicitly against this. Yes. So Bedu doesn't fit into this, this spectrum between like uh, flexible to inflexible yes. neatly. But I was I was always immune to the Deleuzean Guattari sure. nonsense. It all it always seemed it was to be always straightforwardly obvious. neoliberal. Yeah. Um, it was obvious just as statist. Yeah. Well, in the, a broad sense, as everything else. I mean, besides that point, like if you were 10, 10, 15 years ago, if you were not into Deleuze in architecture school, uh, but you considered yourself like a leftist, mm -hmm. what did you do? Uh, unless you were living in a country with a communist party and communist <laughs> parents. Right, <laughs> like some people. <laughs> and there was an architectural section of the communist party you could participate in. Uh, if you're if you're living in like liberal Canada mm -hmm. or wherever Britain, uh, the alternative is basically this kind of neo-Italian rationalism, right. uh, like yeah. against the flows you impose rigidity. Right against the urban, it's the city with its limits, mm. with its buildings. Right. Yeah, it's giving meaning to form. Yeah, in the, in the strict disciplinary yeah. political terms. symbolic. Yeah. So like Rossi was your alternative right. to, I don't know, Zaha or whomever of, of that, right. of right. that right. ilk, right? But Bedu, Bedu made this choice impossible. Right. Because Rossi was equally problematic yeah. from a Bedouin perspective. And, and as I became more and more Marxist, I was translating the, the same critique. You also became more and more Marxist because of this impossibility because of the impossibility of, of resolving this contradiction in architecture. Right. Yeah. I mean, the closest I could come from bed. was like building can be progressive architecture cannot. Right. And what does building mean? It means 
you're starting to shift towards a materialist perspective on what's going on, thinking in terms of building rather than like the category architecture. Right. Uh, so architecture couldn't be political in a, in a progressive way, but building could. And I was basically in the process of becoming materialist because I couldn't resolve the contradiction with philosophy that I translated this question of the totality from like the state of the situation in general to the political economy. Right. And ultimately you cannot, it's not transformative unless it changes the relations of production, unless it changes the political economy. So there's nothing progressive, but a new totality or a change in the totality, a change in the political economic system. So you're forced back into dealing with the totality as a, as the target and goal of political action. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is, I mean, obviously a, a proper Marxist is dialectic and therefore a wholesome harmonious totality is no does not exist right when the discourse on it on the critique of the totality often comes down to essentially making this point there's no such thing yeah you're assuming uh uh, a harmonious system where actually there's internal contradictions and no one believes no one who is a marxist believes that socialism will be a harmonious uh, system with no internal contradictions and this is actually where bad use argument came from was from like a kind of reading Mao and on contradiction right. and like the idea of permanent revolution. Right. Uh, yeah. But the, the, like the internal contradictions exist like a, a totality in the sense of a system or a macro structure. It, ne- it necessarily has internal contradictions and the concept of a macro structure or a general system cannot be assumed as opposing as being the opposite of there being internal contradictions. Everything right. is always, always has internal contradictions and he's always in a pro- transformative yeah. process of becoming something else. Yeah. Um, so capitalism is in a constant process of becoming socialism somehow. The, yeah. And the class struggle is the, 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 the way through which this happens. Yeah, and from a rigorous materialist perspective, like the totality is this contradiction. Yes. It's the whole system yes. of contradiction. Yes, exactly. There's no stagnant totality yes. uh, possible. Yeah. So even, I mean, we, we use totality basically as kind of shorthand for a hegemonic social system right. in, a, in a process of transformation. Right. Like the, capital, ca- the capitalist system dominates the earth today. Right. But it doesn't, so you can think of it as a totality, but it's not actually totalizing. Yes. It's full of contradictions. Full uh, of It's breaks. running up against all kinds of yep. problems all the time. Uh, and, you know, just as capitalism emerged from feudalism, modes of production are existing alongside each other right. in this process of, yep. like, yeah, historical change. Yeah. But I just, I guess the argument for the progressive importance of the concept of to- totality and I, why I, I, sh- we wouldn't, I, I don't think we would frame totality as, like, a concept, yeah, we use it more like a kind of loose category. Yeah, a loose kind of notion. Yeah, notion. Of, of, yeah. Like, it's not a, we don't, yeah, totality is not a concept that we're concerned with. We're no. like concepts for us are like <laughs> political economy yeah. is a concept. Like value. Is value a concept. is a concept. <laughs> Class yeah. is a concept. Right. Totality is, uh, we don't deal with like these sort of philosophy concepts no. are not terribly important for Marxists. No. But I guess the point here is not to like use the concept all the time, but not to be allergic to it for yes. philosophical reasons. Yes, which actually usually betray uh, political reasons. Yeah. Uh, and class reasons. Yeah. Uh, an opposition, uh, like not wanting a future regime that is as regime as the current one and having that concern dominate the practices for, towards revolution. Yeah. We... In the end of the day, we, we feel that, at least I feel that, uh, in like the Western left is far more concerned in, av- in, in avoiding a bad revolution than in how to achieve an actual revolution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because of this panic of like, what is the socialist totality going to be? Is it going to be just as bad as the capitalist one? We must yeah. make sure that it isn't actually a totality. And yeah, then there's yeah, this yeah, like yeah. fetishization of workplace democracy uh, at a micro scale without uh, focus on like a, yeah. a socialist political economy at a macro scale. Yeah. 
uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And to, to put this in kind of... And architecture systematically appears as just reproducing this fetishization of the local as the space of rebellion and revolution. Yeah. To put this in, in kind of more architectural terms, like being anti-totality, your architectural politics are a, will, will be a politics of the fragment. Yes. Or like the enclave or fortress. Yeah. Uh, whereas you should really be thinking about a politics in terms of planning, in terms of right. organization of society, right. structuring and overcoming the economic contradictions, yeah. changing them. Especially changing if you're serious about any of the actual issues that are the major issues yeah. challenging architecture right now, be it like the housing crisis, be it climate change, like all of these are only dealable with yeah. through macro structures. And yeah. none of them are dealable through the politics of the fragment. Yeah. The politics of the fragment is just like a middle-class subjectivity trying to affirm itself uh, yeah. in, in the existing and ultimately, it's a, because it's not dealing with total, the totality of the capitalist market, it's it just another within commodity it. within yeah, the market. Exactly. So the conquest of the market is like the problem of totality. Yeah. Yeah, so don't think totality too much as a concept in philosophy terms. Think about dynamics of macro political economic structures and class struggle to oh, transform really? them. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. how architecture functions as conditioned by them. Yeah, exactly. Great. That was the question we're answering today. Uh, and we have a couple other stuff to talk about. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of this episode is uh, sort of a current events, things in the news. Uh, yeah, one, one is things in the news. The other is a, a story I ran into, which is quite like I did not know and makes everything way worse than I thought it already was. Oh, great. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this. Maybe you already knew. Huh? So let's Try see. Me. Um, so, yeah, I, I, some time ago I ran into an article uh, published on Protein Magazine, which I did not know what it was, um, about the Protago. Okay, the Prudigo, yeah. Yes, uh, the famously the like yeah. which demolition was the uh, the end of modernism. Uh, yeah, according to one of those inventor of postmodernism as a category in architecture, Charles Jenks. Yeah, the famous picture. Yeah, that's a slide in every single presentation like I've ever done and will ever do. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's up there with the. Since 2008, as the mm -hmm. thing you just have to keep referring to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since 2008. <laughs> Protago boom. <laughs> so, yeah, so we know what the narrative on the Protago is, right? And why, and our denunciation of it. How yeah. it's objectively uh, Thatcherite, Reaganite argument against public housing. Yeah. Framed at from the position of Charles Jenks as some kind of exactly like left individualism uh, critique of the totality of the capitalist welfare state. Yeah, and that, the modern movement in general. And the modern yeah. movement in general that forces yeah. working class people into boxes and uh, like uh, normalizes their way. We, 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 we talked We've about talked it several about times. Yeah. I don't think we ever brought up the Protago specifically, but that's essentially like the liberal reactionary, the foundation of the liberal reactionary view of architecture and housing. Yeah, and the postmodern and the postmodern perspective moment. on it yeah. in general. Yeah. So, did you know that? Okay, so basic stuff. The Pritago was built built for black people who have migrated from the south in vast numbers to St. Louis. Yeah, to basically to the um, auto industrial centers being developed. Uh, in the post-war uh, economy as like there was like a transition from military production to uh, civilian right. products production and this like massive right. expansion of the auto industry in the US. Yeah. Uh, and there was large a large movement, a large migration of black uh, agricultural workers in the South that yeah. became industrial workers in Northern cities. Right. 
right. that were like hubs of this stuff. And right. St. Louis is one of these. And initially... It's not really a northern city, but whatever. It's sort of in the middle somewhere. It's in the middle. Where, yeah. yeah. Whatever. It's to the north of where they lived before. And uh, these produced like large like shantytown conditions uh, where these... Yeah. All of these new industrial workers uh, temporarily ended up. And then there was like an effort to build housing for them. Right. And... Pritago is a paradigmatic example of this. It's an attempt to give decent housing to all of these black, uh, newly industrial, urban workers. Right. Give them proper conditions. Um, yeah. There was also another thing happening in the 50s. The United States military wanted to understand better how nuclear weapons worked. Okay. Um, and the thing that was harder to research. Okay. I'm getting scared about how <laughs> this is going. You should. Is how, um, what like the long-term effects of that have been, uh, that were being discovered uh, by then of uh, uh, nuclear radiation leftover exposure. Yeah. Exposure. yeah. So how do you figure this out? Well, <laughs> you figure this out in the following way. You take trucks filled with um, um, oh, whatever, a radioactive material, and you drive them around the Prutago, puffing the material out, oh my God. deliberately contaminating all of those black families yeah. with radioactive material to then study the effects of that over time. God, I had, no, I'd never heard of this. Between 1953 and 1954, whatever FP2266 was, which is like based on declassified documents and blah, blah, okay. blah. Um, there's a strong suspicion it is radium-226, mm -hmm. which is stuff that happens in i think uranium based on plutonium okay. based explosions whatever um between 1953 and 1954 the concussion was sprayed from vehicles outfitted with blowers purposely doing dosing the public plumes of it were cast out of sprayers across st louis and it fell in a fine particular mist from the rooftops of the Puit Igo housing complex hmm. at the time 70 percent of the complex's residents were children under the age of 12. And wow. then there was a second round of these between 63 and 65. At least 43 open-air dispersion experiments were conducted day and night during this 60s period of tests. Army Chemical Corps personnel counted the radioactive airborne particles using equipment, blah, blah, blah. This is from an article by Devin Thomas O'Shea, how do you say O'Shea? O'Shea. O'Shea? O'Shea. Devin Thomas O'Shea. O'Shea. Titled Prut Igo, A Black Community Under the Atomic Cloud, published in 28 November 2022 in Protein Magazine. Protein we can put a, magazine. We'll put a link to this in the yeah. episode description. Yeah. This is pretty incredible. That's insane. They've been measuring this kind of stuff, uh, like this, declassified documents, and then they've been measuring... Uh, what the effects of these might have been on the basis of like cancer incidents and de de cancer-related deaths in the in the area, and uh, um, analysis of a thing called strontium ninety, okay, found in baby teeth. Oof. This is abominable. So the United States regime literally poisoned with nuclear radioactive particles the population of the Pruitaigo at the same time that it was it wasn't just a, one of those like like planned disinvestment something like that what's what's it like um yeah yeah I, there's a word uh, there's a terminology people use for that right yeah so when charles jenks is celebrating bringing down the Prutago, because of bad conditions. 
and that was like that building was bad for the people and the city and blah 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 yeah like this is what was this is what's being celebrated i mean they would be postmodernists would make the argument that the modernist state built the housing as a social experiment and they did these tests as part of a social experiment experiment as well right they this are evil all, enough this is they all, are evil enough to be able to say to make that yeah this is case, all the yes. modern state right doing it to the people right um it's all from the same years right and the 70s was a more enlightened time when they demolished this and put all this sordid past behind them right basically right why couldn't the modern state pulverize the shanty towns with uh, I mean, with the, radioactive materials? Why do they need to build a modernist housing estate to do it? Yeah, in? yeah. The straightforward explanation, like the yeah, the postmodernist Jenks reactionary argument is that modernist housing is bad and destructive on society and mm -hmm. on people. It turns people into criminals, it, whatever. It, it just yes. like leads to social decline yes. uh, yeah. and so forth. And the evidence for that is the decline in the conditions of those buildings, like right. the prevalence of graffiti, the managed light decline, bulbs, managed decline. That is the, yeah, managed decline. Exactly. It's so, yeah, he hasn't, doesn't have a concept of managed decline. It's just like some natural occurrence that yeah. the conditions decline in yeah. these estates because, because of the architecture, because of the architecture and ultimately because of like the welfare state or government planning in general. Or that's, like, that's what, um, this is the larger, Thatcher and, yeah. um, and Reagan add to it, that it's, yeah. uh, like the welfare state giving stuff to poor black people makes them lazy and therefore they don't improve their conditions and actually their conditions end up decreasing over time. And yeah. the yeah. best thing for poor black people is for the state not to give them any support. Yeah. And tough love is the terminology and force them, which will force them to become entrepreneurial yeah. and make their lives better for themselves. You mentioned the industrial, the industrial North. Like when I think of these industrial towns, I think of like Detroit, right? Like further North, yeah. uh, Great Lakes cities. Right. I don't think of St. Louis. I don't know that much about St. Louis, but from what I'd heard, like, I think, I don't know enough, not about, enough about America. It's not surprising that I don't think of St. Louis because part of the decline in these uh, in these housing estates is the larger economic decline of St. Louis at the time. Like mm. industries shut down and yes, the people living in these buildings all lost their jobs. Yes. And because it's America, there wasn't like a public budget to properly maintain the buildings. Right. The assumption was that the inhabitants would be paying for the maintenance. And these people are have no, no livelihoods, income. Yep. no income. So it's like, what this doesn't enter into Jenks' account. No. Uh, the larger economic conditions of workers doesn't enter into the account. Right. Like the fact that this, these are this basically buildings housing the reserve army of labor like structurally and intentionally unemployed people. Right. Uh, and then the managed decline so that they can be eventually just discarded and replaced with something more valuable right. for development. None of this enters into the equation, yeah. let alone like the evil of the American military industrial complex. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, you can understand the welfare state without romanticizing it and still understand it as having... In, in this particular situation, the reason why the state builds housing for workers is... The to, capitalist state. The capitalist state builds yeah. housing for workers. Is that the industrial capitalists who own factories want workers. They yeah. need those workers that, to attract those workers. Yeah. So they have... It is to the interest of the capitalist class that workers are given okay conditions to live in, in the area that are funded by the capitalist state and not them, so that they don't have to pay a salary that with which the worker yeah. can, cut, can, can build their own house or go into the private market or whatever. Yeah. So, like, the you don't... The, you don't the factory owner doesn't want to subsidize a bunch of, of slumlords who are just profiteering. Yes, off exactly. The, the factory uh, capitalists 
want to like the profits of the factory capitalists are in contradiction with the profits of uh, land uh, speculator capitalists. Yeah. And the welfare state appears here as a way of privileging the uh, industrial capitalists over the rental, the rental speculators in a way that is actually advantageous to the working class. The working class has more coincident of interests with the industrial capitalism than with financial rentier capitalism. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the working class comes out advent with an advantaged position in this, even though it's not a working class regime doing it for the sake of the working class. No, and capitalist exploitation exists yes. in this context as, as well. As industrial capitalists delocalize their production to somewhere else, for cheaper labor, there is no more interest in maintaining the working class in the estates. Yeah. And therefore, the estates are abandoned, there's no maintenance, and the estates degrade over time. Manager decline happens because the state, at this point, the capitalist state actually wants to get rid of those yeah. populations. They, they serve no purpose. And actually, the only capital in town now is the financial rental speculators, and now the capitalist state is serving their interests, trying to push those people into their speculation sphere. Yeah. And that's managed decline. So you can understand the thing as part of the history of capitalism if you don't understand precisely capital as a totality with no internal contradictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if you read it as a history of competing interests, even between different capitalists, yeah. and that capital transforms itself from one state of capitalism to another state of capitalism, and the capitalist state adapts to it and adapts to, and adopts different forms. Some of them are worse than others for the working class. Yeah. Yeah. And what these like Foucauldian, uh, re Foucauldian <laughs> reactionaries like Charles Jenks do is effectively to postmodern in general. Yeah. yeah, is effectively to uh, ignore this uh, like the concrete history of capitalism. Yeah, ignore the political economy of the welfare state, and focus on a totalizing view that would absolutely fit exactly the, what you've just, like your take on what their response would be. Yeah, they yeah, would devolve, sure. immediately devolve into conspiracy theory stuff that actually the, um, the building of the estate was part of the plan all along so that you would have concentrate all of the poor people there so you could spray them with uranium. Yeah. Wow, it's just another like incredibly grisly episode. It's unbelievable. Uh, in a sordid history. Yeah. Okay, last story. The latest scandal going about right now, mm -hmm. like this story sort of fresh out the press, mm -hmm. is a debate around an exhibition uh, at the Cooper Union okay. in New York Yeah. Um, on uh, Soviet constructivism, constructivist right, architecture. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, it's curated by Anna Bokov, uh, who wrote a, a kind of a relevant recent book about the Vkhutamas, the uh, school, first big school of architecture and arts uh, in the Soviet Union called Avant-Garde as Method. Okay. People should check it out. And yeah, so this is being framed as like, Russian architecture. There was a recent op-ed. This was just a planned exhibition? Uh, I, don't, I don't know when it was supposed to start. I know that it was attacked. Yeah. Um, and notably, it was attacked by an op-ed published in Archinect. Right. Written by Peter Anker. Is that how you say his name? I have no idea. Whatever, Peter Anker. I'm going to go with Peter Anker, uh, which title is The Cooper Union Promotes Russian Architecture. Why? <laughs> now, this, this, this op-ed has many problems. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, like, obviously, first of all, Soviet architecture is not Russian architecture. Second of all, the... Uh, Constructivism and the Vkhutamas had included lots of architects, including many Ukrainian ones. But like the, the entire point of this is Obviously to frame... Obviously the, the whole point of this, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. Some kind of Russian supremacy um, thing, point, uh, narrative that is being helped by 
the Cooper Union and the Cooper Union is objectively being complicit in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right. This right. is emphasized by the fact, and the, it's quite funny, the, the kind of the article, and even like the uh, the uh, legend for the image, the cover image of it, it, it emphasizes this, that the Cooper Union neighbors St. George Ukrainian Catholic Church, and it <laughs> is in the Ukrainian Manhattan village. Wow. Well, I, uh, whatever. I don't care. About it. <sighs> anyway, the entire thing is pretty preposterous. Yeah. As as you can imagine. Uh, but it succeeded. Predictable. Yes. But it succeeded. Right. Uh, it is based, like, it makes some uh, implications that uh, the curator's dad is a regime, Russian regime architect. Hmm. Which I guess is true to an extent, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean anything in political terms. Right. Um, whatever. Like, and it says that the work is it, in itself not problematic. It's just an issue of like timing and uh, like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that the author would very much be first in line, I think it says, here, <laughs> to see the exhibition if there was any, any other situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, you can imagine how. I mean, I am actually kind of surprised at how much pushback this had. Like, no one has any patience for this. Now, this is helped by the fact that Peter Pushback Pushback against this op-ed calling for the cancelling of the exhibition? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the exhibition was reportedly postponed. Okay. Um, the zine, <laughs> Until after World War Three. Yes. The zine... Uh, <laughs> Published a couple of days later, uh, Cooper Union postpones Hutma's exhibition in light of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Um, and I've checked the Cooper Union website, and uh, it's not even there in the scheduled exhibitions at all. Right, right. Uh, although uh, it's, it's still scheduled for February 7, uh, Jean-Louis Colin in conversation with Anna Bokov. Hmm. Uh, a, Anna Bokov will be joined by Jean-Louis Coin to discuss the Cooper Union's exhibition, Hutema's Laboratory of the Avant-Garde, in parallel with Bokov's book, blah, 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 blah. So there, there's still going to be the, the talk on, like, marking the launch of the exhibition or something. There's just not going to be the exhibition. It's unclear. <laughs> Seems like that would be cancelled, too. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's pretty unbelievable. Uh, it's more funny, though, than unbelievable in this case, because turns out people are pointing out Peter Anker is associated allegedly with um, or was previously associated with the curator. Hmm. So there's a personal angle. There's a personal angle going on. Allegedly. There. And there was even like a paragraph of the of the original op-ed that was removed because it was potentially libelous for Bokov wow. said it was false and defamatory and there was like legal things going on. Wow. Um, basically accusing her and the dad of being, of, of being associated with the Putin regime. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but also turns out the, yeah, like he's associated with it, with, with her in some way. Allegedly. And Peter Anker works or is associated with a, big sort of one of those um you know like big corporate grift things in architecture <laughs> allegedly it's like you know a think tank it? it's like it's some, a think it's tank. some kind of think tank some kind of grifty think tank called terraform one <laughs> which which kind of founded by just sounds like sounds like an evil corporation it really sounds like yeah. a robocop corporation yeah uh, the Terraform thing is, one. It's hard to tell from the website how big this thing is. Like it's part of the griftiness, allegedly. To that present it's it as it's way presenting itself as enormous. Yes. But then you can't really tell like There's how There's like a billion people supposedly associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is founded by a guy called Michel Joaquin. Joaquin, Joaquin. I, it's like it's some kind of Spanish back thing going on. I don't know. No idea. Michel Joaquin. I, I don't know how to say it. 
then stop trying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who has a prior association himself. Allegedly. With with the curator of the curator. Hutamas. Yes. So there's some kind of personal angle here being... There's a uh, vendetta. There's some kind of personal vendetta going on. Allegedly. Is what people are saying. Allegedly. Okay. And exposing. And apparently... Uh, this guy has been uh, like commenting in the comment row of the, the of these two uh, Archinect articles, and they're wow. both the Terraform one uh, pseudonym, and also when I mean, I don't know if this is Handle, true, but whatever, there right. are claims. It is claimed allegedly, yeah, yeah, allegedly, allegedly <laughs> that with other aliases like one which 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 goes by the name of Support Ukraine. <laughs> wow. It's pretty incredible. And it's scary. Like me as a, like I, my specialization yeah. is architecture in socialism. Yeah. And how it is perceived in the West. Yeah. And now you can't talk about architecture in socialism because Putin is invading Ukraine for some reason. Right, right. Yeah, and you can easily imagine uh, China will be off limits. Yeah, of course. In the near future. Of course. Like, and every country official state enemies yeah and their histories yeah everything that is an official state enemy of the like declared by the u.s state department so where every socialist experiment ever in history basically was at some point yeah so there you go now you can't say any you can't talk about architectures yeah uh in socialism or be complicit with some kind of terrorist regime as decided by someone yeah uh, yeah, there's a the, the comments are really funny. From the but it, like it's quite surprising and remarkable how much a lot of people are just like this is insane. That's good. This take is completely crazy. People pointing out that oh, there's lots of Ukrainian members of the constructivist movement and a lot of Ukrainians in Hutamaz, the historical character of Hutamaz as precisely an effort to expand access to higher education away from the only Russian, yeah. like the Russian supremacist policies of the Tsarist regime. Yeah. And if especially privileging the, uh, uh, like ha- giving access to people from the republics, which were given political autonomy for yeah. the, by the Soviet regime for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and how much it was important to get uh, Ukrainians and Georgians and uh, Kazakhs and whatever to 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 learn architecture and to bring their own experiences and to value the traditions, the local traditions yeah. of the local architecture and blah 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 instead of just the Russian one. This was all key parts of the early Soviet uh, architecture policies, uh, and it continued. Yeah. So it, it, it's radically out of. It's it's an incredible um, ig- ignorance and conflation. Yeah, that is happening here. Well, it's not to mention typical... the extreme hypocrisy of focusing on like this, like Russian act of aggression and ignoring all the other ones, not by Russia. It's so typical. Yeah, like, no, like my, my, my 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 response to this on on the Twitters was calling for postponing all exhibitions on U.S., British, French, Israeli, and Saudi architecture in light of the ongoing occupations of Iraq, Syria, Libya, Palestine, Yemen, Somalia, Djibouti, Polynesia, etc. Right. And I probably shouldn't have said Saudi. I should have said Arabian to show more like the kind of generalistic conflation is being done here. Well, it's it's amazing how we were just saying about Vukhutamas and the Soviet Union in general and its politics relative to like Tsarist Russia right. or like grand Russian chauvinism or right. whatever. It's amazing that, I mean, and, and not surprising that communism, socialism are the target of every like mainstream position on the war. Yeah. Like from right-wing people who are, you know, pro-Putin, who blame the Soviet Union for Ukraine's existence. Right. To like liberals who blame the Soviet Union for... Who blame Putin for being communist, basically. Yeah, who and who hold the Soviet Union accountable for yes. like Russian nationalism as well. Right. Uh, even when you look at the history and there's an actual like attempt to yeah. combat it. Liberals just see the thing as there's a kind of a civilizational permanence of Orientalist, Oriental despotism in Russia. And That's, right. Both, That's right. Both Soviet communism and contemporary Russian nationalism yeah. are basically just the same thing. Right. They just have a kind of eth- eth- 
ethnic racist perception of of history and, yes yeah exactly yeah they do and this is leads me to like one of the most interesting and powerful comments in the debate coming from none other than patrick schumacher oh <laughs> that's unexpected and here comes patrick schumacher <laughs> and says like agreeing with people saying that this is stupid here is how i would defend the cooper show Fruitemas remains an inspiration representing an unprecedented burst of optimistic, constructive, creative energy with many noteworthy accomplishments. Presenting this work can never be misunderstood as pandering to Putin or as an attempt to soften our stance against his war. This whole argument is implausible and contrived. More generally, the idea of boycotting everything Russian because of Putin's war is counterproductive and indeed an expression of a mindset that implies a highly problematic notion of collective guilt punishment on the basis of nationality. In the currently highly charged atmosphere, where a dangerous, falsely stereotyping cultural contrast, Russia equals Asiatic despotism, Ukraine equals European democracy, is spreading, a reminder of the cultural contribution of Russians and Russian institutions to cultural progress is indeed needed. Wow. And once again, Patrick Schumacher <laughs> outlefts all of the liberals. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> king. King again. <laughs> That's so amazing. It is outstanding, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Dan Lloyd Wright has been piling on this hardcore. Excellent. Excellent. There's hope. There is hope. Can we just spend the last few minutes before we close enjoying the website of Terraform One? We should spend a lot of time <laughs> enjoying the website of Terraform One. Everyone, let's look. Everyone, open the website of Terraform One, dear listeners. <laughs> so the first thing you probably do when you open the website, I mean, there's the mission statement at the front. Should we read, should we read some of that? Yeah, we should read the basic okay. thing. So the mission statement, intention. Terraform One, Open Network Ecology. When is an acronym. Oh, it's an acronym. That's yes. right. Terraform, Terraform Open Network Ecology <laughs> is a nonprofit art, architecture, and urban design research group. We endeavor to combat the extinction of all planetary species through pioneering design acts. Yeah, that will do it. In addition, <laughs> our projects aim to illuminate the environmental possibilities of habitats, cities, and landscapes across the globe. Operation. We operate as an interdisciplinary lab of specialists advancing the practice of socio-ecological design. The group cultivates resilience through innovations in building, transportation, infrastructure, water, food, waste treatment, air quality, and energy. Approach. Our collaborative process includes speculating how emerging technologies will impact future urban generations and local bio biodiversity. We focus on the intersections of ecological planning, biotech architecture, urban systems, and public art. As an organization, we strive to develop inclusive spaces and strategies that manifest environmental and social justice for all beings. And you think, wow, that's like... Awesome. That's a lot. They're, they're, doing, they're, they're doing incredible work. Yes. Big things afoot. Yes. So then your, your natural, I think, second thing is to like, okay, let's see their projects. Yes. <laughs> and we've basically got Chicken. a series of small sculptures. Yes. <laughs> or but like with pavilions. great names. But with great, great names, yeah. Anti-Extinction Library. It's a weird parametric blob yeah it's all weird parametric blobs every yes. single one of them yes anti-extinction library cricket shelter cricket shelter a home alive bioinformatic digester <laughs> <laughs> puffed rice bales most of ecology. this most of this is just renderings of projects yes right yes the ones that are built are these like small bus stop sized like i think the only one that pavilions. is built is the cricket shelter and the ex anti-extinction library is it built for sure and the bioinformatic Maybe. digester i'm not sure that the bioinformatic digester isn't also a renderer it looks <laughs> i mean it's difficult to see what is and isn't one yeah so i mean and they drop in the mission statement 
the word art a couple times. Yes. So you can you can immediately detect that the payoff of all this is just cultural stuff. It's got no real technological, technical planning, I, uh, sustainable. Uh, I think it does actually have some technical competence, knowledge of some stuff, and that makes it worse. Really? Yes, because they provide services. Well, yeah, this is the next thing. You look at this and you think, okay, this isn't a real thing. This is just uh, like, this is academic work. Mm-hmm. This isn't uh, a real think tank producing. They're not really doing planning or like uh, right. major projects. So then you click from projects to services, the next tab over. And this is, yeah, this is where you're, where you find the real content, right? This yeah. is what's actually going on. I think probably this is what's actually going on. You've got design plus environmental social governance and impact consulting. And under environmental social governance, you get this great, great description. If you are embarking on a new construction project, you will need to consider the impact infringed upon the surrounding environment from the flora and fauna to the local inhabitants. Our team's strong experience in city resilience, biodiversity, and smart buildings can help you elevate a myriad of proposals and pass necessary certificates. Emphasis, pass pass necessary necessary certificates certificates that incite a long-term positive impact. Select offerings, ethnographic research, biodiversity research, feasibility studies, equity analytics, well standard certification, circular economy benchmarking. So it turns out that like they're explicitly saying they're admitting they're not actually like vanguarding any revolutionary like new ways of whatever. They can guarantee that you pass past the bare minimum that already exists in legislation. Yeah, they will they they're they're a greenwashing. Yes. Consultant. Yes. Basically. Exactly. Completely mercenary. Our team is at your service to make sure that you pass the necessary certificates. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Can we make fun of how these people look or is that not okay? Can I just read the impact consulting? Go ahead. Impact consulting. Do you have a product or site that endeavors to hold not only world-class design, but social and ecological value? We work with clients along the entire development process and from pre-concept through prototype stages, channeling your goals and needs into a mission-focused products or solution. Their typo, not my miss. Groundbreaking architectural and urban design concepts are incubated in our studio as we strive to find actionable and thought-provoking applications with our partners. Select offerings. Thought leadership workshops. (laughs) (laughs) Ideation and strategy development. (laughs) Prototyping fabrication. Thought leadership workshops. It's pretty good. This is the most grifty in the bad sense. Right. Thing I may have ever read in an architectural uh, context. The spectacular. So you really can't tell how big they are or what they're, what kind of clients they are. They have. No, they present, it presents itself as something that is like mega big. It, it presents has like itself a million as mega associates big. and people working there. Yeah. And then you look at the work and you think, oh, this is actually a pretty small thing, mm. doing competitions and producing little like sculpture yeah. things. Yeah. But then you read this and you think they could actually just be like a huge kind of green waft. Easily washing consultant firm. Yeah, you have no idea. It's impossible. You have to no tell. idea what they're what where their work what yeah. they're up to. Yeah, that's, that's spectacular. How much money they're actually making? If yeah. it's all going to just like oh, the one guy, and everyone else is like a what well, says they're comes not, in on a thing or in another other thing, or if these are actually employees. It says it's nonprofit, um, but it's yeah. It seems like it's nonprofits it's, still pay salaries. Yeah. Yeah. You just like you can easily set up a nonprofit, and that's your job. Yeah. Instead of setting up a practice or a company, you set up a nonprofit. Who, who the fuck cares on the differences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's in no, in no, fact, setting up a nonprofit no is, is easy, easy, more easily grifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little snapshot into the military, industrial, architectural, think tank 
complex. Complex. <laughs> yeah. And also they're involved in Neon somehow, apparently. Allegedly. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. So yeah, cancel Russia. Right. Work for Saudi Arabia. Right. Yeah. And, it's, and, and to begin with, like... The exhibition had nothing to do with, yes, with Russia. Nothing. <laughs> it's not like being having a client as the Saudi <clears throat> royal family state. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's it for today, right? Yep. Now I've got no more scandals. <laughs> next month is gonna be either the no, next month is going to be our coverage. Oh, yeah, there's another scandal. We forgot. The new issue. Oh, yes. <laughs> of Architectural Review. New architectural new issue of Architectural Review has an interesting cover yes. image. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's on labor. It is on labor, which... Uh, just in and of itself deserves that we pay attention to it. Um, and the cover features a giant red broom sweeping the city. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we jokingly accused them of plagiarism on Twitter. Yeah. And have an okay exchange after that. But yes, we absolutely need to do this for the next episode and go through the journal. And yeah. uh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, the architectural review on labor, good or bad. Right. We hope it's both. Who is the true, <laughs> who is the true broom? Right. I mean, it needs yeah. to be both, right? There needs yeah, to be good to stuff be and bad stuff. I'm sure stuff. there's good stuff, yeah. There, I'm sure there's going to be good stuff, yeah. but I hope there's bad stuff too, otherwise it's going to be a boring episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, until then, right. uh, please... Like, favorite, whatever. Promote us, promote us. Help us. Tell your friends, blah, your blah, friends. blah, everywhere you can. And uh, follow us on uh, the Twitters and uh, on uh, the Instagrams, the Street Sweeper Pod. And um, support us on Patreon. Yeah. Street Sweeper Pod. Patreon.com slash Street Sweeper Pod. Yeah. And uh, see you next time. See you next time. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> <laughs>